Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist. I'm glad you could be with me this morning. We're going to continue our study in Ecclesiastes and our book starts off, uh, our student book, by talking about what is on your bucket list and um, how does the potential of death and urgency um, add urgency to doing the things on your list. You know, this book would have been written maybe a year ago, uh, the Sunday school books. They, you know, they write those ahead of time. And I'm sure at the time that it was written, the virus would have already started. And so it was on everybody's mind, the fact that we are mortal and face uh, death at the end of our lives and you know it brings it back to mind sometimes we get the idea that life will just go on forever and we become uh, surprised when someone passes away because it was unexpected and even when it's expected and, and a person is very very old or very very sick and it's expected uh, we still have a hard time handling that transition of letting the person go and knowing that they are gone. And so it, you know, it's even more so, I think, in our world now than it might have been when this book was written a year ago because we are facing a, a very serious time with the virus right now in our area. <clears throat> and so... You know, it's a good lesson, and I'm sure in God's timing it was written so that it would come out and we would have this lesson today. And that's the way those things work. You know, they all, all of God's things work together, and this is the case with this. We, uh, you know, we have lost people in our congregation this week, and particularly not to the virus, but not necessarily, but very unexpectedly. And... Um, you know, it, it is a shock to the whole congregation when something like that happens. But we, you know, it's good for us to remember that God is in control and He doesn't have surprises. He sees things um, that are coming and he, he knows it already. And so the other question that I asked is what is on your bucket list? And if you don't know what a bucket list is, uh, that's the way people put it these days, meaning what if you had a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. <laughs> I, I don't have a bucket list, I don't think. I mean, there's certain state parks that I would like to go to and watch birds. That's about the extent of my bucket list. I don't desire to jump out of a plane or climb a mountain or anything like that you know but anyway um your bucket list then might be your list of things you hope to do and you know again you make a bucket list with the idea that you're not going to live forever and these are the things I would like to do before I die for you know we went today uh today is Thursday and we went down to Jacksonville and we spent our day with the pastor from First Baptist Folkestone going around and 
visiting uh, shops that are run or restaurants and shops that are run by um, two different, a couple different groups of people. One is the Africans that are there, and we're trying to sort of know the Africans and and see if some are Christian or Muslim. And and we, I was able to share a little bit with a lady and man today who were Muslim from Africa. And then we also went and visited with some Bosnians that are in Jacksonville. There's a very large group of Bosnian Muslims in Jacksonville. And so we were able to, to visit with them a little bit. And, you know, it's important for us, like Clint said on Wednesday, if you might have been at prayer meeting, or you may not have, but um, Clint was talking about how important it is for us to pray for the Taliban and also pray for the Afghanistan Christians that are being um, possibly persecuted or killed, you know, trying to leave Afghanistan or whatever. But also we should pray for the Taliban because God expects us to pray for our enemies. It says that Jesus said that in Matthew and so it's important for us to do that and, and, to, and to try to share the gospel with those that we can reach. There's some here, right here in Waycross, uh, that we live among who are Chinese or Muslim or some other religion. And we can do our part to try, as we go around through our day, to share a word with those people when we have a chance to talk with them. Anyway, let's, go, let's get on to our lesson now. And Solomon is talking about... Um, the end of life in parts of this lesson. So we're, go we're in chapter 9 this time. And I'm going to start off by reading the first three verses. For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. So this all sounds sort of dreary, you know, coming from Solomon in a way. But he's, he's just, I guess, stating his observations that... Um, in our lives, we don't know whether it, whether people are going to love us or hate us. Um, we don't know what's coming, in other words, in life. Man does not know. And when he says man, he means mankind. Um, and then he says anything awaits him. And uh, it's, he says it's the same for everybody, whether you're clean or unclean you make sacrifices or you don't, you swear an oath or you don't swear an oath, um, 
He said it's the same fate for everybody because we're all going to die at the end. And then he says at the end of this little section, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. So he just has observed that, like the Bible says in other places, you know, men's hearts are prone towards uh, doing the wrong thing, especially if we don't have the Holy Spirit to guide us. We, If we have if we don't have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to remind us that the thing we've chosen to do is wrong or we're thinking about doing is wrong, then who who is guiding us? Maybe, maybe the devil. Or maybe we're guiding ourselves and we just choose what seems right to man, uh, which is, you know, not often a good choice. And so... Our wisdom has to come from God, you know, um, and not from our own, not from our own head. Um, okay, let's go on for, forward. And they, they divided chap. I mean, sorry, verse four, from verses five and six. But I'm going to read four, five, and six all together because to me they go together. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Again, this sounds sort of dreary. At the beginning of that, he says it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. You know, back in those days, uh, it's not like it is today in America. We, um, you know, many people have a dog for a pet, and we uh, make them almost like they're a member of the family a lot of times. And, you know, people dress them up and and um, put pictures on Facebook of them and things like that. I mean, I do too. You know, I, I, I put mine on Facebook sometimes. So, but back in these days, a dog was not a, a pet type of a, a creature. I think they had pet cats maybe, but dogs were considered to be an animal that roamed around eating trash and... Um, you know, was kind of the low, low on the totem pole. So it was quite different back in those days. And so when he says it's a live dog is better than a dead lion, what he's, what he's saying is, even if you're not much, but you're alive, even if you're low on the totem pole, it's better than to be a lion, which represents, you know, a king or a royalty almost in the animal kingdom uh, but if he's dead then he's not uh, he's certainly not regal anymore is he and so with us um, it is a I think we can take a lesson from that verse to say what little we have to give if we're still alive we need to be giving it we need to be doing we need to be using the talents that God has given us 
even though our talents might not be uh, as great as someone else that we see, we might see a person and we say, well, I could never do what he does or, or I could never sing like her. Or I could never, whatever, you know, but we need to, whatever God has given us, we need to be using ours, I guess you might say, and not worry about everybody else. And then in verses 5 and 6, he goes on, you know, to talk about the living. Uh, at least they know that they're going to die. So in other words, you, you have the knowledge that one day your life will come to an end. And you have the time then to hopefully do some of those things that are important before you, before you do pass on. Uh, but then, and then he goes on to say that the dead, you know, have no, they don't have a chance to do things any longer. Now, you know, his outlook on death is a little different than ours as a Christian because he did not have uh, the knowledge, the full knowledge of the Redeemer, Jesus, uh, the Messiah, who came to save us from our sins and how Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come again to take you there, you know, so that we can be together. Solomon did not have access to all that information. And so he was basing his thoughts about death on the things that he knew. And all he knew was that uh, you would be gone to somewhere among the dead and you know he doesn't really spell out how he thought that might be but of course we have the full knowledge of the things that Jesus taught us and we know that there's a, a wonderful place awaiting us uh, who follow Jesus when we die okay let's go on then uh, to verses 7 and 8 so Solomon uh, it concludes all that about talking about the end of life and says go then eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head now I you know I I think um, it is good for us to take this to heart and we had a discussion about this today uh, as we were traveling back up from Jacksonville you know what I what Solomon is saying here you know is enjoy your life uh, God has already approved your works or God already has things he wants you to do and he's approved those things and we should we should um, rejoice when we get to do something or say something to someone but we should not beat ourselves up over not being able to do uh, you know all the things that we think we should we put all this baggage on ourselves and we we think we should uh, you know be more powerful witness and we should have shared the gospel more and we should have led a lot of people to Christ or whatever and we beat ourselves up when really God what God expects from us is as we go through our lives to enjoy our lives and to point other people towards him so that they can know him and they can also enjoy their lives and if we could keep that in perspective you know and 
not let someone put a guilt trip on you because you're not a part of their ministry or you you don't feel led to do you know if we only if we would do the things that God leads us to do and not feel guilted into doing all these other things that just because somebody else you know wants us to do them it's not easy I mean I I'm, I don't really have the answer for that but um but that is what Solomon is talking about here. Now let's go to verses 9 and 10. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going or in the grave. So again, he's just he restates, you know, that there's not there's not going to be um, work for you to do uh, in that sense. You know, the work that God has given you is is here on earth, and we we should try to discover what it is that God has for us to do and not disregard that, not not just say, well, I don't know, God hasn't, you know, slapped me in the face with it, so I, I don't, I'm just letting myself off the hook. I'm not going to do anything. I don't think that's correct either. You know, God does have some things he would like for us to do and has set aside for us to do. We need to discover those things and do them. Uh, and then... You know, he says, enjoy life again. He talks about enjoying your life um, that you have labor, labored for under the sun. You know, he always goes back to that under the sun um, as as the struggle of life. Now, that is where our lesson ends, but I'm not going to quite end there as usual. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 as well. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors. Neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time. When it suddenly falls on them. So, you know, he, he's going on to talk about um, the how we we don't uh, we don't have a lot of control over the things that happen in our lives. But at the same time, we must remember that, you know, God is God. He, he's got that big picture, you know, that we've talked about all through Ecclesiastes. And he is in control. He knows from the beginning uh, the things he has set aside for us to do. Um, now, to, to say that we would not, that we would just not do anything because we don't know, then that would be like self-indulgence. You know, we're just to be lazy and not do anything. But I did want to read this one verse that they referred to, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. And it reminds us in from the New Testament, 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So we, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't read verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And, you know, we hear people say, Lord willing, I'm going to do so and so. This is where they get that phrase from. This is, this is the verse that causes them to say it in that way. Because James is telling us here that we should never say, uh, oh, I'm going tomorrow, I'm going to Jacksonville, and I'm going to shop at the mall, and I'm going to buy all my Christmas presents uh, ahead of time and blah, blah, blah. You know, the, all the things that we always say, <laughs> we, we should think soberly about it and, and put it in a different form. If the Lord wills it, if it is God's will for me to do it, this is what I'm planning to do. Because our lives are short and we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But God does know what tomorrow will bring. And he is in control. He, he sees our tomorrow uh, before it has ever gotten here. And so it's a reminder to ourselves when we say it that way, Lord willing, I will do so and so, or if, it, if God wills it, I'll do this or that. If we would say that more often, it would be a reminder to us to keep, uh, keep God in our lives and in our thoughts throughout our day. Um, so that is the end of our lesson. Now, there was a verse that I wanted to be sure and read in chapter 11 because next week we're going to go and start in chapter 12. And I don't want to skip this verse because it's one of my um, favorite verses in Ecclesiastes. Well, in 11, um, verse 1, it this is one that gets quoted often in sermons. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. There are other verses that talk about uh, casting your bread on the waters or, you know, putting out the gospel seed and that it will come back. It will not come back void, you know, things like that. But then verse 4 of chapter 11 is one that I really like. It says, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. And I've always liked that verse because, you know, it reminds us that if you look at the circumstances of whatever God is leading you to do, you won't do it. If you start counting the cost and say, oh, but that's going to take a toll on my family or my whatever, you, you won't do the thing. You know, you'll say it takes away too much of my time, it takes away too much of my money or whatever. And so, he, you know, this is, this is Solomon saying the person who watches the wind blowing is never going to sow or plant a crop. And the one who looks at the clouds saying it might rain is never going to reap the harvest. And it's important for us to remember those, those things. We have to have our eyes on Jesus who guides us to do the things that we do in our lives. 
all the way to the end, um, whenever that may be. So thank you for being with me this week, and we we're going to conclude our study of Ecclesiastes next week by uh, looking at chapter 12. So I look forward to seeing you.